Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com Welcome to episode 48 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is a weekly conversation with someone that I find inspiring. Hopefully, it'll leave you inspired as well. That's all I'm trying to do. Today's guest is cornerstone Australian stand-up comedian, the always outspoken and controversial Ostentatious. Find him on Twitter at Ostentatious1, A-U-S-T-E-N-T-A-Y-S-H-U-S, the number one. More about him in just a moment. I'm very grateful that you were here. Please check out some old episodes. There's a bunch there. My first anniversary show is shaping up nicely. It's a question and answer show. I'm going to answer your questions. So if you want to send me a question, it's real easy. Pop an email to me right now. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That's it. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That's my address. I'd love to hear your voice if you're able. Had some great questions coming in through the week. Thank you so much. Some good ones from LA. Thank you. Go to osherginsberg.com, click on the right-hand side there. You can leave me a voicemail. Um, it works pretty well. Uh, I'd love to have your voice on the show. I want to hear your voices and, and, and answer your questions from there. I, me, what's happening with me? Well, I've been traveling a lot for work, and so my sleep-wake cycle is kind of all over the damn place. Between the jet lag and the coffee, I'm, I'm completely out of whack, and when that happens, my already delicate relationship with calm does get a bit tested. It is offset, though. It is offset, though, by the fact that I'm very, very lucky to work with one of the most fantastically talented, positive, productive, and fun crews that I've ever worked with in my career. It's not always like this. Uh, so please know that the people who make The Bachelor, they're all worthy of dinner with your mum. 
They just to say that if you know you organized to meet your mum for dinner and introduce them to this new friend of yours that you work with and you didn't make it, you wouldn't have to worry that it was going to be cool and your mum wouldn't get upset and she'd have a lovely time. Um, they're solid humans, every last one. And I'm very grateful for that because it's lovely to be surrounded by that at work. And I will honestly miss it very much when we wrap. There's, there's few things actually that I enjoy more. That are few things that are quite as good as collaboratively working on something that you fully believe in with good people. I think that's why I liked being in bands so much. You know, there was the four of us just all working together and that group mind sense or pushing to create something fabulous. Um, yeah, I really enjoy it. It's a real joy and it, it does drive me to make the next thing happen because I just want to do it again. I want to work with my friends again. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting a solid eight hours sleep in, but uh, you know what makes going to sleep even better? The thought of drinking coffee in the morning. That's right. I, oh, the other night before bed, I sniffed the beans. I opened the bag and I sniffed the beans. I was so excited to go to sleep because it meant, ooh, in the morning I get to drink that. <laughs> Look, it's my voice. It's my one voice. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I've got coffee and that's it. And you can pry it from my anxiety-riddled grasp when it finally winds me all the way over the edge. But until then, wait until after I've had a cup and we can talk about it. <laughs> Let me tell you about my guest today. Yeah, my guest today is Ostentatious. It's a legendary name in Australian comedy. For over 30 years now, he's been releasing albums, making videos, making movies, playing over 100 gigs a year, and generally causing chaos pretty much everywhere he goes. He does have, and he'll tell you this, he's got a reputation as a fierce personality and not one to shy away from things that he believes strongly about, which you'll most definitely hear in this chat. And you'll most definitely see if you follow him on Twitter. But the most fascinating thing about him is that he likes to challenge people. And in fact, he relishes in the chaos that he causes by that challenge. You'll hear him challenge me quite a few times in this chat. I do my best to answer him. And as a result, he and I had a fairly robust conversation and we covered some pretty deep, deep stuff um, from getting into fistfights on stage. We talk about the Holocaust getting divorced, fundamentalism, me not converting to Judaism, you know, just a few lighthearted subjects. <laughs> um, he's a fascinating man. He's a very, very intelligent man and a powerful man. And as you'll appreciate, a controversial man. It was intense to be in his present because he does have that energy. But you'll also hear me fanboy a bit at the start because, well, it, it was, he was the first stand-up gig that I ever saw. The first gig I ever saw, the stand-up show, was ostentatious. Um, I was quite a super fan when I was a kid, and I do admit that to him. And um, it's not often that you get to tell someone that when you were a kid you were really into them, and that was nice uh, to have that opportunity. But it was good to have him in my house. He's a big bloke. He's well over six foot, and uh, he's, you know he's built. He's a big guy. Uh, so with this kind of fierce personality this incredibly very very smart guy and this kind of dominant physical presence um it was interesting to have him here and i'm i was grateful that he took the time and we do cover some pretty interesting stuff i hope you enjoy it this is um ostentatious in my house in bondi with a cup of tea
Can I, do I call you Austin? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah, let's do I'll call Austin. you Austin. Yeah, yeah, let's do the Austin. How are you, Austin? Good, mate. Good, good. Good. This is, we've met a few times. Yep. We've met a few times on the street yep. here in Bondi. Yep. But there's a time that you probably don't remember meeting me. Your mum, it's fine. No. 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 1989. Yeah. At a venue which I believe you referred to as a backwater toilet in Markula called Surf Air. It was a resort. Markula's on the coast. No, Sunshine Vic- Coast. Vic- on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. Right, right, Markula. And Surf I, Air. I can, we were staying there on holiday yeah. and I convinced my dad to let me go and see your. How old sta- were you then? 15. Right. I convinced my dad to let me go and see your stand-up show and my dad took me to the stand-up show to watch you, watch Ostentatious, and he bought me my first beer at your gig. What's his name? Uh, Michael. Michael. Michael, sure? Michael, Michael Ginsberg. Right, right. Um, he, brought, he bought me my first beer at your show and I remember watching that show. And um, uh, How I, was it? Was it good? Or? Yeah. Well, you dealt with a heckler. There was a yeah. guy who was just being an absolute fuckwit all night, yeah, yeah. all night. And I think you were... You probably, I don't know what it is now, you probably did 45 or an hour. But somewhere early, this guy just would not shut up, would yeah. not shut up. And yeah. you just were unleashing, unleashing, but he was so pissed. Yeah. You were like, all right, get up on stage, mate. You think you better get up on stage. And you went, good night, everybody. And the guy stood there, just pulled his cock out. Did he? That's really- and then walked off. Yeah. I remember I was 15 going, that's it. What is, what, is this stand-up? And I remember that night it's you were doing- It's not conventional stand-up. Well- it was my first ever stand-up show. I'd never seen stand-up before. But it's not conventional. You know? no. I don't think it's many because once I, the audience were pissing me off that much, I got the whole audience, about 300 people on the stage and I went into, I went down to the audience and heckled them for 15 or 20 minutes. It's a very Steve Martin thing to do to get all yeah. that. Well, it was, yeah, well, it was a very funny thing. To- but uh, quite often I'll get them up there and I'll just heckle them until they either kill themselves or <laughs> self, uh, self-destruct. Mm-hmm. But I remember the next day you were in the lobby checking out and I went over and I was oh. so scared to go and say hello. Yeah. And I went over and said, hi, I really enjoyed your show last was night. Was I sweet to you or not? You were. Oh, and he said, oh, oh call me Sandy. Nice, nice to see you. Oh. I was like, hi. Oh. You can call me Sandy now. Too. It was really like I got your autograph. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. Oh, 15. And then the next time I saw you was on the street in Bondi. Yeah. Like 10 street. years later or something. Yeah. Oh, no. 20 years later. 20 years later. Yeah, I was 35 or something. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was... Huge fan. Really? I knew all oh, the words yeah, to the really? Phantom Shuffle. Oh, really? I really That's did. Interesting. I knew all the words to the Phantom Shuffle, which was a single you released after Australiana. Yeah. yeah. And. Did you like that? Did you I really it, did. Really? I really did. And what about now in retrospect? You think it's still. Uh, I still remember the words. Really? Yeah. I have a wolf called Devil in a cool, cool skull cave in the neighborhood of my father's Very grave. Nice, 400 years I've been hanging around this jungle life keeps getting, getting me down. down. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, but it's very rare that people actually know much about my work subsequent. To well, Australia, because I've got a lot of records out. Well, let me get to the second yeah, one, yeah. which is you know why I'm very interested to hear, you know talk to you today. There's many things reason I'm interested to talk to you today, but then you also released a record in in conjunction with the 1988 bicentenary of Australia called Highway Corroboree. Yeah. And I'm 14. This is before I met you. I'm 14, and I'm in my bedroom in Chapel Hill, white middle class suburbs of Brisbane, and you know Brisbane's a cow town, yeah. and has you know, very much still in the Joe Bjorki-Peterson era attitude towards Indigenous Australians and, like, all the jokes around school. Like, I just I just didn't know. All I knew was my environment and all I knew was the racism that was just really? all over my environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the line, um, 
uh, these guys came here 40,000 years. They landed on the boat 26th of January, 40,000 years BC, before Cook. Yeah. And I was like, I was kind of, and I was interested, you know, what was it about that time? I mean, you can imagine now if someone released that single, people would be like, oh, what's going on, mate? Come on, mate. But I, well, what was it what like? What do you mean? In, in two, like, in, like Aussie, Aussie, kind of Aussies. No, no, what that's, was a, that, that was a, that was a, that's a piece really taking the piss out of the Australians. That's you know, what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, what well, was well, it about? Well, the... But now, but now it's a time of political correctness. You'd think people would absolutely embrace that record. What was if it? You know what I mean? What was it about? Is that what you're? On well, about I guess now? what what I'm yeah. asking is like, yeah. what what spoke to you? What was it about the Aboriginal Australian experience that spoke to you at the time to be like, here I am with all this celebrity at the time. You were fucking huge. Yeah, I'm going to put this record out. This eight minute record. There's a lot. There was a lot of things. There's a lot of things. Firstly, as a Jewish person, I could identify with uh, the persecution or the suppression of the Aboriginal people, which I still, of course, still do. And um, and by the way, you know, with the Palestinian people who are living in Gaza, every Jewish person, I'm sure, feels sad about what's going on with them. This has got nothing to do with the relationship between Jewish people and Palestine has got to do with Hamas and the way they're behaving and the way that they, um, they're fairly intransigent. We'll, we'll talk a lot about anyway, that later. Yeah, anyway, Don't but, worry, but, we'll but, get to that. But, but we'll get to that but, part. But no, but it's a similar issue. Yeah. You know? It's a similar issue. I mean, I, you know, people who are oppressed, obviously, you know, I feel, as a Jew, I feel, I feel towards them. And, uh, you know, we get accused of not feeling, but anyway, there it is. But towards the Aboriginal people, I... I and also, I also felt that the Aboriginal people had a great sense of humour because I met a lot of them. All, on my travels, I've been, I've, I've worked in so many places where Aborigines are, or Aborigines are. There's more Aborigines than white people, or you know, I've done shows where there's half a white audience and half an Aboriginal audience, and I've always enjoyed the humour of the Aboriginal people. So that was a piece to lift the Aboriginal people up a bit, you know. I put blackface on, which was which in that time was 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 the only but was the only way I could make that record because I wanted to make a film clip, and Ernie Dingo was on Didgeridoo, but he was not prominent at that time. I mean, I think that's the first time he really, you know, he really he was on television with me on the Sunday program when I. I premiered it on the Sunday program. Where'd, where'd you get the sunglasses, Harold Marilinga? I bet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was some. There was some fantastic stuff. And which made me then go yeah. as a kid, going, "What's Marilinga?" Yeah. And I'm a kid. Yeah. This is before yeah. the internet. I had yeah. to go and explore. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in that piece. Yeah. And I, I worked with Trevor Farrant, who's a terrific writer, and we worked we worked together on that. It was my idea. Highway Robbery was my idea, and but he he wrote for Gunston and he wrote for many comedians. He wrote for Humphreys too, and. Um, but he's just a great, great writer and he came up with some brilliant stuff and it was just, it was a powerful piece. You've always been, and I remember that like very clearly when you said it's not exactly stand-up and there's, there's, there's always been a confrontational aspect to, to it and, and I remember the, like, the, you know, the next time we met, it was somewhat more confrontational the next time we met. Was it? Yeah. What, in the street? Yeah, down here oh, what, at, what, what, at the what, Trat. What, nasty? Or? Yeah, a little was bit. It? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's okay. I, you know, we all have bad days. You haven't, you haven't met Russell Crowe then? <laughs> I have actually. He's a lovely I was guy. With, I was with him the other day. He's a lovely he's, guy. He's calmed, calmed down a lot. He's very Russell. calm, man. I really like him. Much nicer than he, uh, than he used to be. But I, there's something that about you, especially your on-stage ostentatious thing that's about not just confronting but like, I'm really going to put you on your back foot and challenge you. What gets revealed about people when they get challenged like that? 
Look, the the whole thing that I do, the whole this whole thing that I do, it's all about unpredictability. That's mm-hmm. what it's actually about. The whole thing that I do on stage is about theatre. Somewhat retrospectively, you know, the way I look back at my career, you know, how have I evolved? How have I evolved this way? Because I've got a very, I've got a very, very small tolerance with boredom, bore, to boredom. You know, boredom <laughs> is something I just. I have a huge problem with, you know. It's called in Yiddish. It's called spilkus, you know. I just, I'm always, I'm always looking for the next thing, you know. So, when I'm on stage, I, I always want to make it interesting for myself. So, if I can create something there that happens unpredictably, in other words, for the first time, that's that is the that is the most exciting thing. So, shaking it up, coming out there and just pushing them, so they just, what the fuck is this? What's going on here? What is this? Particularly, you know, you're a kid, you come, you know, 15-year-old kid, you come and see, wow, what's going on here? And that guy's up there. And when he's upset, that guy and that guy's starting with him and over there there's somebody and then this thing, what's going to happen? It's going to turn, is it going to go crazy? And then it calms down a bit and then it goes crazy again. And then I say something that I haven't said before that is funny and there's so many things that can happen that make it, a, to me, a you know, it's got. There's no limitation to stand up. It's not. There's. There's nothing that you know. There's nothing that you can't do because you're everything. You're the director, the producer, the the actor, everything. You're the whole. The editor. The you know. Your what costume. Everything. You're the whole story. So. And is that is that chaos? The thing well, that you create is that the show? Is the chaos the well, show? Well, chaos. Chaos is all. Is very much a part of it, but it's not necessarily the whole thing because there's 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 a. There's a there's an intelligence behind it. I'm thinking about what I'm doing. I want to do this. I, I want to. I, I want to lift it into something that is really grand. You know, something great. I want to do something great. Whenever I step out there, if it's possible, you know, if I if the, the only limitation really is the is the audience. If I've got a very smart crowd, it can just go anywhere. You know, yeah, I remember that night. For visual, it's a visual for folks listening. But you were doing a lot of that one. <laughs> a lot of the, yeah. the hand over the head. Yeah. You were just. Yeah. Things with my dad was laughing his tits off. Was he? But everyone was like, yeah. yeah. Do Australiana! Yeah, what about him? It's Kikwala what? Yeah. Did it ever, I mean, you're a big, that's the other thing I remember. You're you're a big guy. You're, yeah. you're, you're, there's a lot of you. Yeah. Did that help? Like, because when people get confronted, they often go to aggression as their first reaction. Did it ever yeah. get scary for you up on that's stage? A lot of it gets scary a lot. Oh, there's a book out, you know, if you want to have a look. Yes. Have you seen the book? It's, uh, it's called uh, Merchant, Merchant of, of Mayhem. Of Menace. Merchant of Menace, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Ostentatious Merchant of Menace, and it's a it's actually a really good book written by somebody else, written by a guy called Richard Murphy, and he captures the whole thing, you know, the whole chutzpah of it of, of it all. You know, it's it's the, it's the Jewish boy from the eastern suburbs confronting the world, a world that, you know, that was fairly alien to me growing up, but I've become very familiar with and very much got under the, you know, got into the psychology of, so I can look at the Aussie audience and I can really understand what's going on there and I can muck around with it, you know, I can fuck with it, which is, it's, it's never ending. It's just, it's so much fun just mucking around. And it, and it, it does get it very much out of control. In, in that book, there's quite a few instances where, where I've been physically attacked, you know, by people, you know, and, um, but luckily, I have the little Israeli guy there, Mr. Kavmaga, who is always there, ready to 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 take care of the thing from Sayer Matkal and uh, Kavmaga. From Kavmaga, there he's, uh, he's, his name is Kavmaga. Betach uh, Bemet, and he's uh, no. Anyway, no, I actually don't have any. Never have security, but right. But I, I've I've been assaulted many times. Jeez, but that's okay. 
That's it's part of the job, mate. I push them that far sometimes that they just fucking you know they let go. I don't know how. They don't know what else to do with this energy that's come inside them. They just channel it into violence. Well, it's it's alcohol though ah. most of the time. You know, they're completely gone. You know, um, I was once I was in a place called Wardell, which is in the book. It's right near Byron Bay, and I was pushing this crowd, and there was a some woman came up to me and she threw wine in my face, and I just went fuck this, and I just whacked her at the back on the back of the head. Wrong thing to do because the husband I could see him. The brick shit house moving towards me, you fucking cat. You know, just slow motion, I'm gonna kill you. And he picks me up and he throws me against the wall of the hotel, and the front wall of the hotel, which is a glass, beautiful old glass thing, all smack cracks, the whole thing cracks. <laughs> it's laying into me. And I just see this, you know, the, the manager of the venue say, he says, I think you push it a bit too far tonight, Austin. <laughs> And that, that, that's, a, that's a common thing. That happens a lot. But that's the alcohol, mate. You know, yeah. Alcohol's a thing, you know. Did you get paid that night? I got paid, yeah. He was reluctant. You, know, but... <laughs> you always got to get paid, man. I got paid. So you, you grew up uh, here. We're in Bondi right now. I grew, up in, I grew up in Vaucluse, just up the road here. Right. My father came here in 1954 from uh, after the Holocaust. And um, he, uh, he bought a place in Vaucluse in 58. And that's where I grew up with my brother. What was uh, what was Vaucluse like at the time? I mean, now like Jamie Packer lives there, and it's it's a pretty. It was always a, it was place. always a beautiful place, but yeah. surrounded by beaches. I mean, you know, growing up near beaches, but I was a Jewish home. It was an Orthodox home, you know. Right. So when you know that was obviously your normality. Yeah. When did you start to realize? Oh, not everyone. You know, sixteen or seventeen when I started to smoke marijuana. I mean, you got to remember that it was. <laughs> Remember, it was Vietnam, you know, it was yeah. Vietnam. It was the sexual revolution. It was, you know, intellectually very challenging, you know. I was at university doing dentistry for a couple of years and then arts and then I went to film school. But it was all, it was all, I just wanted dentistry to Dentistry to film school? That's... Dentistry, dentistry to arts to film school. How was that conversation with your dad? <laughs> it wasn't a good conversation. Yeah. It was never a good conversation. It was always, but what do you want, son? But what do you want? Always, every day. Because he thought, having come from a well-to-do house in Poland, being thrown into this total chaos for years, then coming out of it, he thought a profession's the only thing that, you know, is going to keep you going. And um, whenever there's problems, son, you need a profession. So, you know. But he was a sweet guy, just a sweet, damaged guy, you know. And that made a huge mark on me. And, um, and it's been a, a huge driving force for my creativity. The Holocaust has been a, you know, something very, you know, all about getting my head around that constantly, you know, is... is um... my, f- my father lost his... Um, he lost his half-brother and grandmother in the Holocaust. He was born yeah. after the war, but... Here? Uh, no? no, in London. In London, oh. Um, English Jews. Uh, no, they were from Prague, but from they got Prague. out. Got out. They got out. My grandfather got out. They got, he's, the Associated Press smuggled him out. Really? Yeah. Is it with journalists? Yeah, he was, was he? A, he was a journalist in Prague. Really? Yeah, yeah. Jewish journalist. Mm-hmm. I smuggled him out. And um, but my father, I remember my whole life, he would sit us down as kids and go, you must know about this thing and would show us these pictures of death camps. I don't know, like four or yeah. five. Yeah. Like, well, it started with me at four or five. Yeah? But it, but it started with me because he was a, he was a survivor. So, I, I How do you even begin to tell a kid about that experience? He told me everything about it. 
me everything about. My brother had, you know, much less interest in it. He now runs Westfield internationally. That's a difference between us. You know, it's a fundamental, it's a fundamental difference because I'm in that, I'm in that, I'm in the Holocaust. You know, that's where I am. Well, I'm all the time. I'm in that Holocaust. At what point did it click over to like that was just on your mind all the time? Well, you know, as I've been, I've been able to utilise it. You know, I went to Poland. I made a documentary for SBS, which is a very powerful piece, actually. You know, Denton just went back. You know, he, you know about this? No. Andrew Denton, his father's Jewish, Andrew Denton's father's, his name Didkowski, and he, um, his name's Kit Denton. He changed his name to Kit Denton, but he's, he's, a, he's a real Jew from a small town in Poland. And Denton found out about this and he went back who do you think you are? They took you oh, there. Oh yeah, yeah. And he uh, and he, he he went to Treblinka, where all my family were murdered too. Oh, yeah. So when I, I did his show, it's called Enough Rope. Yeah, you know, I, was, yeah. I did I did one of those. So on that show, they showed my journey back to Treblinka. Uh-huh. So um, that was one thing that I did. Then I did that. You know, when I won Tropfest, I made that was a Holocaust. Yeah, thing. I, I would like to. Talk, yeah, we're yeah. going to talk about that later because yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's interesting. But as a you know, as a, as a kid being told about, I remember my, my dad was really like, had fear in his eyes going, you have to know this happens. Yeah. You have to know that this happened and people, educated people did this. Well, right now, I mean, you know, you can see what's going on in Europe right now. Yeah. It's, it's uh, particularly in France, you know, and, uh, you know, you, what, what's necessary is every government needs to stand up against anti-Semitism needs to make a, a strong statement. I noticed some some Arab did something in, in Germany today and they uh, they arrested him uh, on a, at a synagogue through something or... Huh. So anyway. Did that, what your father told you, how did that then change your view of this, you know, parad- paradise kind of harbour beaches kind of place that you were well, living? Well, that's right. That's the, that's the paradox. You know, you're living in a... You're living in a in a beautiful place, but your father's screaming every night because he's remembering Bergen Belson. You know, he would have been PTSD'd out, like completely off yeah, his head. Yeah. Mandrax was the was the drug of choice. You know, that was um, back then where they just went just sedate him, just yeah, sedate yeah. Him. And I, I would come home as a teenager after you know, you know, smoking weed all night and doing the mushies, and my dad would be in the same sort of state as I was, <laughs> sitting at the table or speaking like. On Mandrax, off his head, off his fucking head. Right. But um, he was a good man. He was he was a good man. My dad. He was a really good man, and um, he was a gentle fellow, which is um, which is interesting too. Did he come around to when you said you know went to film school? Did he did he see you? Uh, the day he came around was when I when I would come. Well, the days he came around were when I would come home after a show and throw thousands of dollars on his bed. Because you could see, you know, ostentatious is going somewhere <laughs> rather than hitting the wall, you know what I mean? Right. I think he was always very fearful of me because he could see that I had a, a fairly wayward spirit and um, unconventional approach to things. Well, there's definitely uh, a, pa- a power about you. Surely you recognise at one point that, oh, I'm, I've got this thing, I'm, I can put people on edge. Um, well, I don't know about on edge, but I'm, at university I was always shit stirring. I was always sitting in the back of the lecture theatre, you know, in fine arts particularly, and uh, just having having a go at the lecturers. And it was at school too, you know, there were certain teachers that 
but I could make the whole crowd, I could make the whole t- team laugh there. So I've always had that thing. Was you know, it was a, it was a, a gift. A gay, <laughs> it was a gay sort of gift. And so a gay, a gay man. It was was it, it was nineteen. You went to film school, and it was nineteen eighty one when Austin arrived. Yeah, well, film school was in seventy five, which was an interesting period. I was three years at the National Film and Television School. You made three movies. I made three. You know, you know everything, and. Um, yeah, I like to do my homework. Well, I, I knew made, you were coming around. I'm yeah, like, I'd better swat yeah, up. No, well, I, He's not no, going to suffer fools today. No, no, okay. I don't care. But, but I, I, you know, I did. And I, I wrote these films and I directed them and it was a fantastic, it was a great thrill. You, that, was, that was the best fun I've, I think I've ever had being at that film school. There's a girl, Sophia Turkowitz, right now, who's just made a film about her mother. It's just, just come out now. She was in my year. There was a, was a, was a fairly... Um, it was a year where nobody really achieved much, but the, the year prior to our year, which was a one-year interim scheme, was was a interim interim training scheme. Was Philip Noyce, Gillian uh, Armstrong, Chris Noonan, who made Babe, um, uh, James Ricketson, John Papadopoulos. It was it was, it was a very a very big team then. That sounds like it was a tough place to get into. It was very tough to get into. Yeah, they had a had a a, a a fairly a fairly a fairly difficult selection process. They took about twenty five people out of a thousand. And um, it was a three-year full-time program in everything, you know, editing, production, you know, direct direction, cinematography. So I, I did cinematography and direction, and um, it was fantastic. Anyway, and then I came out of film school, and I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do this cinematography assistant thing. So I worked. Well, loading mags and, and well, yeah, loading mags was just not my thing. No, nah, you don't strike me as a. Well, Philip Noyce thought it was a ridiculous that I was actually, you know, in my book. That's what he, in that book he says. How ridiculous it would be for me to load a mag. Ch- which we're talking about changing the film magazines. There's well, a high, there's a hierarchical, hierarchical apprenticeship of cinematographers before you get to be the one behind the lens. You have to be the guy who hands the guy who hands the guy the guy the magazine that they slap onto the camera. And I was at Cine Camera at, at the ABC, you know, with all those guys that spoke like that at all. You know, that all worked with Freddie Young and all that on David Lean movies. You know, that all like seventy years old. Never. Film school, what a fuck is film school, you know? And so I was on patrol boat and I'd drop a camera or I'd, you know, you know, in that black bag, you know, doing changing, change changing the mags and the, all that shit, you know, anyway. So, but I, but I look, I worked on a lot of film clips with, uh, with Peter Levy, a, a Jewish cameraman who now works in America, mm-hmm. who shot um, Predator, Predator. Yeah, right. We've worked a lot with Stephen Hopkins, you know, that guy, Stephen Hopkins. Mm-hmm. He's a, an Australian director who, um, he did that show Twenty Four, you know, with yeah, Peter Sutherland. Huge. He started that show, and and Peter Peter show. Anyway, I was his camera assistant for for years, and we we shot um, things for the Angels and huh. In Excess, and so uh, you were in the rock and roll. I was a rock and quite roll quite early. Rock, yeah, yeah, rock and roll. Well, I was hanging out with Barnsley in nineteen seventy nine, you know, on yeah. cheap wine and a three day growth, and the Angels on No Secrets and Face the Day and all that stuff. All those, all those, all the really good clips from the, the late seventies. I was there with um, Peter Cox, Peter Levy, Mark Lewis. We were a little team, and and you were the team was, that was, was making those videos. Yeah, well, we were the team making those videos, wow. I, and I was, the, and I was, the, I was the camera assistant. City oh, camera that's assistant. awesome! <laughs> it was, it was terrific, you know. We, we were in, we, we made that thing for cheap wine, made in, in Roger Langford's apartment in Elizabeth Bay. It was incredible, you know. It's the first time I met Barnsley, and. Um, you know, I, I work with everybody. From Michael, Michael Hutchins on the first thing, Oh, baby, I love you. Yeah. I worked on that clip at the Paris Theatre in 1979. Right. It was the beginning of NXS, you know. And um, 
How did all that stuff then inform what became your stand-up? Well, it was amazing because three, two years later, I'm ostentatious at the Monavale Hotel in front of 8,000 people or whatever, introducing Michael Hutchins or, or Jimmy Barnes or Doc Neeson or whatever. It was quite the thing to put a stand-up with rock and roll bands. Well, I was then. the guy that I was the first one to do it yeah. in Australia, really, I think. Because I was at Narara 83 and 84, I was the host of both of them. This is like, festivals. now let's just explain. This is a pre-big day out. Before there was a splendour in the grass, there was like these gigantic one day just closest, pretty close to a biker rally. Uh, yeah, yeah. well, there was Sunbury prior to me, but there was, but, but in the 80s, it was 83, 84, there was Narara. What, 80,000, 100,000? Know, no, about 30,000 30, people near, near Gosford somewhere. And uh, I did it for two years. I was the host of that festival. So Billy Birmingham and I were still working together at that stage and we came up with that. The theme was na ra 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 na ra 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 And I had the caftan and I was going, three days, motherfuckers, three days, no ring, all that, you know, Woodstock shit, you know. And uh, it, was, it was amazing. The pretenders, you know, talking heads, you know, some of the biggest bands in the world were there in the, in the mud with 25,000 shit-faced Australians and Austin off his head on cocaine and whatever it was. <laughs> so you were right in? No, right into it. Yeah. Into the sentimental bloke, as we used to call it. Right. The coke, the sentimental bloke, the, oh. rhyming, the rhyming slang, you know, the Wait. sentimental. And you got any sentimental on you, have you, Austin? <laughs> got any, have you met Michael tonight? Michael Caine. Michael Caine, yeah. Michael Caine, yeah. That's right, Michael Caine. <laughs> the sentimental bloke. Yeah, the sentimental bloke. Yeah. Man, so. The coke, the sentimental bloke. Was it like that Molly Crew book where he says, I, I woke up, I came out of a blackout on my second, touring my second album, I don't remember recording it. Well, was it a bit like that? Pretty much. I can't remember anything that happened in the 80s, really. But I, I gave up everything in 1986. I haven't done a drug since then. It's 30 years ago now because I had a terrible car accident with my girlfriend at the time oh. she was driving it was a terrible accident we we're on the way to a show in falls creek and uh she she didn't see this tractor was turning right as she took it overtook him so he tore the roof off the car and tore off whole her face off and uh, but she was german so it was okay but um <laughs> but uh you know uh it was a. It was a. It was Doing a, bits in the middle of a story, it, man. It was a blur. It was. I'm going to turn blur. my light on. It was a two. You got what? Turn the light. Oh, the light. It was a. It was a. It was a bit of a blur. That was a bit of a blur, though. Yeah. Um, the whole. The whole of the eighties was a bit of a blur. So but when did it? When were you like? I'm going to have to. Compass Mentis again. Pardon? When was I Compass Mentis? When? When did you go like? I'm going to have to pull the pin. I'm going to have well, to. One a, of these things are going to have to stop. No, that was it. That was. Yeah. It. That was a car accident. That was the end of everything. Right. Cigarettes, alcohol, everything didn't do it. Haven't done it since. Right. Just sit at that organic shop in Bondi. Yeah, how good is it? It's very good. No, that's that. You know, that's. That's what we met the other day. Yeah, that's, that's why, why you're here. That's why I'm here. But that's why I'm, I look after myself because uh, it's a fairly, you know, it's a fairly. I'm still doing a lot of shows. I'm doing, you know, hundred shows this year. Wow. So, so. Well, you do. I mean, and it sounds like you were going toe to toe with. I mean, they didn't call him Doc for nothing. Uh, yeah. It sounds like you were going toe to toe for someone. Like that. I'm, you know, I'm sorry. You must have known that guy. It must, it must have been tough when he passed away recently. Yeah, well, I, did, I, I wasn't intimate with Doc, but he, he was a nice fellow. But you know, he had a, he had a, the last twenty years of his life. I mean, just you know, things, something fell on his head at a concert, and then he, yeah. and then he got cancer, and, and he got, you know, and he was, he was an alcoholic, and, but, you know, 
all of them, you know, I mean, how much is Barnsley, how much alcohol is Barnsley drunk and how many drugs is he taking? There's a, there's a buddy of mine, uh, Grant, he's a bass player. He's just like a workman, lives in LA. He's an Aussie. We used to play in bands together. And he's just like the workman bass player that someone's going out on tour. They just need a metronome with four strings. They get him. He's that guy. He's yeah. just work. Yeah. Yeah. And he talks about the Scottish tour manager he worked with. He points at one nostril. He goes, you see that, lad? That's a Ferrari. Points to the other nostril. You see that? That's a Lamborghini. That's how much coke I put up both nostrils. Don't do fucking drugs. <laughs> yeah, well, that's well, that's what it was like. My a very good friend of mine's Rick Grossman. He plays in the Divine. He's played in the Divine. Does he know him? I know of him. I've never met yeah. him. And he's now with the Huda Gurus. But uh, you know, we have a dinner every week, just about. And he's given up. That's nice to have a, a, a weekly dinner with someone like that. Well, we, yeah, we've been doing that for about a year and a half now. What's that like? At the twenty-one, you know. You yeah. Twenty-one. What is that? 21 is the, is the Hungarian restaurant in, Hungarian Jewish restaurant in Double Bay for uh -huh. 40 years. You know, the matzah ball soup and all that sort of. What's it like to, to have that regular meeting? Well, it's great because he's got a lot of anecdotes about show business and we've done a lot of shows together over the years, you know, at Selena's and we've toured around. I've toured, I toured with the Divinals. I toured with so many bands all over the country in that, in that, in that era, you know. I was a rock and roll comic. You were, man. You yeah. were. But I wish I wasn't in some ways because, you know, it's. I've learned a lot, but uh, but I've got the. Sorry, I've got the wrong audience in Australia. I don't. I still don't have the right audience. I don't have an appreciative audience. I have an audience of you know headbang. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Fuckwits mostly, so... I would love to have an audience that, you know, appreciate. Because all the comedians that came subsequently, you know, like the Jamoan people and all those sort of people, the Will Andersons, they all went into theatres. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a completely, at least people are listening to you. Yeah. I don't mind that they're a little bit pissed because they're more relaxed and it's more fun, but I wish that they were compass bent us a bit. You know? Right. Um, but, yeah. Oh, look, I've had a great career, man. I've done thousands and thousands of shows in extremely tough environments. Yeah, no doubt. So I've learned how to work, you know. Nothing frightens me on the stage. Yeah, you strike me as a man with no fear when it comes to No, no, to I'm, 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 oh, look, I'm fearful. I'm fearful of television, actually, because I haven't done enough of television. I've been I've been marginalised as with TV because I'm, I'm not like you're a clean-cut sort of a guy, you know. You're, you know I am you're, now. You're, 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 but you're reliable, you know, and that's what, that's what – but I am too, but people wouldn't think that I am. People think that I'm a little – you know, a, a loose cannon, which which I can be, but for good reason sometimes. And uh, but 
I'm going on Larry Emder's show next week. They've asked me to go on there. On the morning, morning Channel show. 7. Yeah, it's called Flashbacks, I think. Right. Yeah, but some sort of, you know. It's thing. like a morning show, yeah, 9 like, o'clock. You know, they wheel you in in the cage and they say, this is, this is you know, the dinosaur, you know, <laughs> the, the Austin. Yeah. And then they just push you back. Do you, when, now the kind of stuff you do, um, were you aware of like things, you know, that act, acts like um, Bill Hicks and stuff were doing at the time? Yeah, yeah. All of those people. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot. I know a lot about Bill Hicks, you know. I worked a lot with a guy called Mozart. I'm, I'm, I'm very good friends. Do you, have you ever heard of him? He was a contemporary of Lenny Bruce. He was wow. Lenny Bruce's mate. He's now, he's still alive. He's about 90 now. But I spent a lot of time with him in Los Angeles over uh -huh. in the 90s. And he's a, high, you know, highly intelligent uh, stand-up comic from that era, from the, from the late 50s, you know. And so he would come on stage with a newspaper and talk about, Current, current affairs, pretend that it was all, that he was making it up, but obviously using an old joke and just applying it to a current situation. But uh, no, but all of those people, mate, I, you know, I, I, um, Steve Martin was my favourite, I must say, of that era because he was the most abstract, you know. And that's really what I try to do, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't care about the material as much as I just care about bumping, in, bumping ideas into each other and... And the audience is a part of that. Well, it is. The whole thing's a part of it, yeah. you know. I, I'd say I'm fairly unique in that respect in Australia in the way that I approach it. I mean, most of these guys sit down, they write two Jews and go into a bar, you know, those sort of the gags and the, the one-liners. <laughs> I remember the night my yeah, dad was saying that one line, yeah. the was night he? that we yeah. saw you. Yeah. My dad said that line yeah, for about Jews 10 years. Yeah. Two Jews go into a bar. Yeah. They buy it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Or whatever. I, have, I had a, you know, I had a whole lot of stuff because... That was my that, that that routine was about warm, the comedian warming up, you know. Two Jews go into a bar. 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 It's like the comedian getting into getting into you know into the space. Two Jews go into a bar. Two Jews go into a bar. So uh, yeah. So but but uh, the, the way I construct it and the way I've con I construct it these days is just so that it, anything can happen. What took you to Los Angeles? Well, uh, what took me to Los Angeles was um, Philip Noyce asking me if I wanted to do a cameo in Sliver, so in that movie Sliver. This is, so this is someone that you'd known from oh, your oh, filmmaking yeah, yeah, days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've no, known Philip. I'm very I'm, fa I'm fascinated with the idea of that, you know, the people that you meet yeah. at the earliest stages of yeah. what you do are the yeah. people that you're going to be working with for the rest of your life. Yeah. And... Well, Phil, well, Phil and I have we, you know, we go back to the film school, but you know, in during the eighties, um, he was he was coming to a lot of my shows, mm -hmm. as Russell Crowe was, and you know, Russell would follow. I, I, the other day when I saw him in Rose Bay, he was just talking about, you know, some show that he'd been to or something. So they all used to come and watch me, and um, and then Philip asked me if um, if I'd in, in nineteen ninety two. I was he was I was I was with a friend of mine and I dropped a friend of mine at Brian Brown's house at Whale Beach and Philip comes out and he says, uh, you know, I'm making this movie with Sharon Stone, Sliver, and uh, he just made Patriot Games, I think, and, and that one, and then Sliver, and would I like to do a little cameo in there? And, and so I, I went to LA and I did a cameo. And also all those people were floating around, all the people in the game were floating around thinking, who the fuck's this ostentatious and why has Philip got him doing this? And so I got an agent and um, they came to see my stand-up and... They were impressed, and then they and then they thought they could get me this and that, and then I went and auditioned for millions of things and never got anything. And it's a and grind, got, man. Got close, yeah. But I got close on a few things, but it is a grind. It is a grind, but it wasn't my destiny, you know. 
I guess, you know. I maybe. think about over there now, like I've been living there for a while now. Yeah. Nearly on and you're off. Not, like, are you acting though? Are you no, acting? I don't no. act. Yeah, you're, you're just a presenter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the kind of gigs that I do don't exist anymore. Yeah. So I'm pretty much just in development now. That's that yeah. whiteboard is this new show I'm working on. And, yeah. You know. You're, you're, developing, got, you're developing a show? Just or? developing shows, yeah, yeah developing yeah. reality. Like trying to. Put my next, make my next gig, you know, yeah. which is something I want to talk to you about when we talk about what your about the naked question? Jew because I was reading that naked stuff's really big on on the, on these reality shows now. Oh yeah, there's Naked Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah Naked Island. Naked. What about the Naked Jews? Maybe I don't know. Andrew Gunsberg and then was it is it Osher Gunsberg Osher Ginsberg? We, we should talk about this. I'm actually only half Jewish. Oh, are you? Okay. Yes, yeah, my father and grandfather ah, ah. came down my that side. So I oh, say so you don't. You're not a practicing Jew then? I was but, married to an Israeli for yeah, seven years. Right, and right. So what happened there? Were her parents asked you to convert or not? Uh, Have you had the snip? I, I never really resonated with the – I always knew that I had this weird last name and people used to tease me at school. Right, right, right. And I had a name that had umlauts on it and people yeah, yeah. didn't understand it and I went to a Catholic school and people would yeah. make fun of me. Really? And I didn't get it. I didn't, yeah. just didn't understand because yeah. we're in Brisbane. Yeah. We were yeah. the only Ginsburgs there, yeah. all right? yeah. Then I kind of started to know a few things more and more. As a dad was always, he would take us to temple and stuff like that. Would dad, he? Yeah, yeah. So you had a bar mitzvah? No, no. And and dad would take us to Passover and we did Pesach yes. and and, and mum came or not? I don't think she did. Really? I don't, I don't really remember. Um, She's alive, mum. Yeah, yeah. Both I'm still alive. Both together, together. No, 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 no not together. Eighty six or something. Oh. Like but dad was, you know, as we discussed earlier, dad is was always quite was always very much uh, – it was a very central part of his life and his identity. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I was kind of raised with a foot in both. Yeah. You know, what was mum? Mum was a Catholic. Yeah, Lithuanian. Lithuanian yeah. Catholic. They, oh, really? I, I can see a Lithuanian in you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's the yeah. thing. My grandma actually um, – she, she was rescuing Jewish girls from the village in right. Lithuania when it was right. all going bad. Yeah. And my grandfather found out and he's like, if you want us all to die. Yeah. I should think she got about nine or ten out. She would – Hi- Which village was that? Vilna. Kalnas. Kalnas. They would hide. Yeah, there was a lot of Jews murdered in. Yeah, Kalnas. it was horrible. But they would. Uh, she would get the girls from the village, yeah. and she would hire them to come out to the house, the yeah. country house, to yeah. to do work. Yeah. And she had a deal with a train driver, yeah. and the train driver would stop uh, halfway between two stations. Yeah. And the girls would get off, and grandma would pass them on to people that would get them out. Because that was the Einsatzgruppe, and that was just a shock. Yeah, absolutely horrible. So, but grandma did that a lot. And there's this other story about her. The Nazis were uh, whipping a, a a Jewish guy in the in the square in front of the hospital, and she walked straight up to them and she said, "Stop that! Just yeah. you don't do that. You do not do that to this man." Yeah. And and these guys never had a talking to like apparently really? they, stopped. they stopped. Yeah, they really? stopped. Really? Yeah, she, my grandma was she was not to be fucked she with. A, she was a strong woman. She was. She was. So, but anyway, so it wasn't until I, I met this uh, my ex wife Noah. And I got off the. Where did you meet her? On the beach, man. Down there, Bondi. She was out here on holidays. Right. Um, And I went to Israel for the first time, and it was like getting off the plane at Ben Gurion was like I just got off the bus in my home suburb. Right. Really. And I started being able to drive around without a map. I knew where stuff was. Really. Yeah, yeah. I remember talking to the rabbi about it. He's like, "Oh, you've been here before." I was like, "No, no, no. This is my first time." He goes, "No, no. You've been here before." I was like, "Oh!" And you know, you come up close to the Western Wall, and you just—I just burst into tears, man. It's like, really, well, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so, so it's, but you never wanted to become a full Jew. 
I really, really thought about it really, really hard for a really, really well, long time. Didn't she hustle you about that? That's no, good. She's, she's a sub. She's a sub. She doesn't care. She's a sub. They. We're all, all, all they cared about was that I that we raised the kids Jewish, and I was absolutely hundred percent behind that. Oh, really? Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but there's something about the culture that just feels so right to me. You know? So you, but but you still don't want to. To convert? Yeah. My wife converted. All oh, right. My ex-wife. Um, look, I, I changed my name. Uh, I studied. Well, that's, that's, what that's what I mean. Osher yeah. Gunsberg. Yeah, I study. I, mean, oh, I study. Osher is Osher. Yeah, yeah. Osher. I study Kabbalah and there's a, you know, interested in that kind of kind of mystical vibe around well, Osher, there. Osher is, you know. It's Osher, happiness. Osher, Osher well, yeah. exactly. But, you know, it's not. It's an Osher, you know. Yeah. Osher Ginsberg. yeah. I, look, I Particularly am, if you're living in LA, I mean, I am what I am. It's full of the Jewish people. But I am what I am. You know, I'm I'm a half half. Are you a half half? Yeah. That's what I am. Look, I found the spiritual side of it to be of come along at a very important time in my life. Yeah. I met this woman, yeah. and the yeah. spiritual side of it really resonated with me. Yeah. And um, there's that line: religion is for people who are afraid of hell. Spirituality is for people who've been there. And right. so I I found aligning with the spiritual of Judaism felt a lot better to me because yeah. there was no, you know, God that would strike you down for being masturbating. Right. It was just dark energy and light energy, man. And that's, that's what I was more into. That's a beautiful thing, mate. That's a beautiful thing. That's what I was more well, into. So, what, so, you know, as a as half-half, what do you think? Why do you think that there's so much and antipathy towards the Jewish people? Look, I think it's like... That's that's a. I don't mean I don't mean on a on a, on a just I don't mean on a simplistic from a simplistic perspective. That's a I mean ten hour a, answer, man. Well, I know, but it's a, it's a profound. I think see it as a very profound thing. I think is, through history, every culture has required a scapegoat, and you know, in some level, we have it right now in this country with uh, the idea that, and we were just talking about this the other day with um, Imogen Bailey, who was here. Um, we were talking about it that, you know, a government that wants to get elected or a person in power manufactures a fear or talks about something yeah. to be afraid of yeah. and then says, but I can protect yeah. you from it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been happening for years and it's happening right now. Like these, the boat people are coming to steal your yeah. jobs yeah. and give you yeah. hepatitis or whatever yeah. it is, yeah. is and, but I can stop them. Oh, great, I'll vote for you. Yeah. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, well, on, a, xenophobia, on yeah. a simplistic level, on a simplistic level, I would say that, Scapegoating is always is a part of many societies, and I don't want to get into trouble. But that, that's a, the quickest I can answer that question is that that's that's the role that they played. Yeah. What about you? Well, no, I I think it's I I just think it's a very fundamental thing. It's it's a very profound thing. It's it's about dark and light, and uh, I think the Jewish people. You know, in Hebrew, we're called or lagoyim. It's you know, light unto the nations. That's that's what it is. It's from a, from a biblical context. I don't. Th I don't think they want the light. I think the light's something that they don't want. And I think that that's because we represent the light. It's a, it's a giant a giant issue. You know. And um, you know, like because the Magen David, the Star of David, is you know that was that that became. An evil symbol during the Nazi period. You know, put a, a yellow star, and you're going to kill. You're going to smash that, kill it, destroy it, whatever you can, whatever. You know, smash it, hang it, burn it, kill it. A star. I mean, how how incredibly crazy is that? The the swastika is superimposed on top of a star. It's, the swastika is the thing of light, and the star is a dark symbol. 
Where, how, where does that make sense? It's incredible. But just that the Nazis were incredible propagandists, incredible propagandists. And that scapegoating thing, you know, but Hitler, Hitler always said, we are the barbarians, you know. So his, his, his mission was to stamp God out of the world. That's what his real mission was. Starting with the Jews, like the Bornhofer guy said, you know, Kevin Rudd's, you know, Kevin Rudd's hero, the Bornhofer, you know, the German, I think Protestant or Anglican or whatever he was, who said, you know, they start with the Jews and then they come for the rest of humanity, which is what's going on now with, the, with radical Islam. Radical Islam is after the infidel, you know, the, the infidel, and everybody's the infidel. And they and they want to destroy is they want to destroy, is destroying Israel is such a thing for them it's such a, an obsession this tiny little dot to destroy that tiny can't stand it and then they come with the they're starting to cut the, the Christians apart in our Iraq now they're starting in Mosul they're starting to behead the Christians and drive the Christians out. I remember Mum telling me you know the mum my mum was a so they were refugees and they you know so she saw firsthand. Uh, they f they fled with the retreating German army. Yeah. So they kind of yeah. had to keep on the DL for a while. And, yeah. Um, but she was, as we were kids, of what my dad was telling us about Holocaust, yeah. mum was saying, look, the most dangerous thing in the world is fundamentalism. I don't care which side it is. Yeah. That's the most dangerous thing in the world. Yeah. And that's but, but, the, but the Jews are not pros proselytized. We never proselytize, you know. We never, we never go out and look for convert people to convert That's we're not, not a, mission we're not a mission, we're not a mission. Islam, islam is very missionary yeah. convert or die you know christianity too convert or die that was the, that was the thing right through the middle ages to the jews you know if you don't convert that's what the inquisition yeah. was about get out of spain or we'll kill you you know disappear get you know whatever yeah that's been our history so anyway, you're so you're um so this leads us to the, the film that won you Tropfest yeah. in 98. Yeah. That was based on an actual encounter? That was based on a real encounter. You really met a guy in a cab? I met a guy in a cab and he was a German and I thought, you know, I've got nothing to do today. I'm going to hassle this guy to death. And I did. And, uh, and you got him to kind of basically admit that. Admits that you was a Nazi. Hi. Have you seen that film? Of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. You're a real fan, mate. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm very chuffed. What do you think you hear? Well, I'm very chuffed, man. It's very nice, mate. Because I, there's no, I don't ever do an interview with anybody who knows anything. I did an interview this morning for the ABC in Musclebrook because I'm going there on Friday to do a show. The guy knows nothing. You know, it's very nice. Lovely to have you on the radio, Austin. Big fan, Australian. That's all I know is Australiana. Right. I've made 20 records. You know, I've done you know so many movies and uh, I've done so many things in show business. They know nothing. Well, they, yeah, one hit wonder, eh? Hey, matter what, you know, that's that's it. But that's it's ridiculous because yeah. I've looked into every area of. Cinema is my, my, my total passion. I love cinema. I've made a lot of, you know, I've made a lot of things there and right now I'm working on a picture as well. So, you know. I love that you call it a picture. Yeah, well, I love, <laughs> I love the picture. I picked, well, mate, I know all about cinema. Got to make I, a picture. I love cinema. I love it. So when it's you a, made, when you made the, thing. it's called Intolerance is the film. Yeah, yeah. When you made Intolerance, you just come back from Los Angeles. I came back, well, I, yeah, we just, we just relocated again. I, yeah. When I, I married, my wife converted. As soon as we were married, we went to live in America, and we lived in America for about a year and a half. And uh, she lived; she was there when the earthquake was on. I was back here touring. She went through that earthquake in, in the Northridge earthquake, yeah, the nineteen ninety four yeah. one. And um, she was under the bed. And uh, then we, then I came back, and then, yeah, virtually, uh, you know, straight into touring again. And then 
and then I met Paul Fennick, that guy, Paul Fennick, who the guy that makes pizza, the pizza thing, yeah. and the houses and all that stuff. Yeah, a talented little, uh, a talented little Maltese Aboriginal, and uh, a very talented guy. I could just see immediately this guy had something. You know, he was an interesting fellow. So we did. I did a lot of things. I did a lot of those pizza shows, and then I did. Uh, I took him to Poland with me to do that uh, doco on the Holocaust. And we had a big fight there because he's. He has a German wife and, you know, she was saying, but, but Paul, is it, not all the Germans are so bad. Anyway, whatever it was. But, uh, and then we made the Tropfest thing, which was, um, which was and we, we put it in, you know, you know the story about that? Because we, we entered it in the name of a fictitious feminist filmmaker called Laura Feinstein. We created this identity. He thought we'd never win. I knew we were going to win, mate, because it was it was just a, a it was all everything was right, you know. Tropfest is the it's the it's the largest short film festival in the world now. Yeah, uh, and people that win Tropfest go on to to great things. And the time in Australia, just to set the scene, uh, One Nation, which is a, a fairly frightening right wing party, uh, anti immigration, xenophobic. Um, party was quite rife in the country at the time. Yeah, and Paulie, Pauline Hanson, which I made a record about her too, which was called Xenophobia. And uh, and so you entered this film in this film competition. We entered the film in the in the festival as a, as uh, as Laura Feinstein. And then Johnny Paulson jumps up and he says, "For the first time ever, Tropfest's been won by a woman." And then Fennec jumps on the stage. I wasn't there, but Fennec jumps on the stage and says, "I'm Laura Feinstein." <laughs> and so they started to, you know, you can imagine Paulson, what's going on here? And once again, you're fucking with it. Yeah, it's called yeah. the Laura Feinstein Affair. I mean, it was just, it was fantastic, fantastic. Did they still let you win? Yeah, we won, yeah. And uh, but, the, but the intention was that they would cut, we never got this together, but that they would cut to a screen and Laura Feinstein, a hired actress, would say, Hello, I'm Laura Feinstein, American feminist filmmaker up here in the Warren Bungles, making a story about the Aboriginal stolen generation. Very happy to accept my prize. Sorry, I can't be there. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. But, but uh, anyway, it was a, it's, a, it's a legendary thing now, that whole... Oh, that it's, whole I, I love that you're still, you're just still fucking with people like that. Always, That's mate, great. Always, always. I wish I was smarter, mate. I always wish, you know, always wish I was smarter, always clever and... Always making stuff and but so when it comes to a smart audience, you you went for the smartest audience twice. You ran for office in this country. I did, yeah, yeah. What's the process like trying to get on a ballot? Trying to well, get they a came to me. The sex party came to me, and they said, uh, you know, let, let's let's put you as a candidate up against Tony Abbott, who's now the prime minister of our country. Yeah, in in Warringah, which is his electorate, and uh, he was immediately very frightened of me I don't know what you know was really scared because he put the tax office onto me immediately immediately they turned up at my accountants immediately you know the little Chinese guy what 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 where at the book where or the book where you got or the book what, what happened where the well, like the next day the next the week like you like the next few days like just two or three days you, getting, you got audited yeah got audited huh Heavily audited. Not, never, a, not, these, a, not, a, not a coincidence. These accountants have never, it's like all the president's men, these accountants have never seen an audit. This is the, these accountants are the worst accountants ever. It's like worse than, you know, the, the producers, you know. It's worse right. than that. It's worse than Bialystok and Bloom. It's worse than that. It's like totally incompetent, you know, really sweet people but couldn't, you know, just 
when the when the Chinese guy came from the ATO, they didn't know where any of the figures were. They didn't know anything was. Yeah, oh, that was in that computer, and I, it's, I don't know, it's got, nobody could find it. And <laughs> so I ended up with a twenty thousand dollar extra on, on my tax. Huh. And anyway, but I got twenty two hundred votes, and he got fifty five thousand. So he never had to worry because it's a, a highly conservative electorate. It's almost reactionary there in Manly, and. Uh, but, you know, I guess it was, it, was, it was a big turn on for me, though, mate, because I got photographed in the budgie smugglers on the front cover of the Manly Daily. And Our Prime Minister is famous for getting around in a pair of Speedos. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, I just took the piss, you know, with the, the Abbott-proof fence we had that we came up with that thing. You know, we built the Abbott-proof fence around the electric and still and still a budgie smuggler snuck in, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was a fantastic thing. And then I ran against Barry O'Farrell for the Outdoor Recreation Party, which was that laying home guy who's now a senator in the in the federal yeah. in the federal government, who's um, it's like it's like the shooters like the shooters party, yeah. like you know, absolute you know redneck people like that. Now we're very happy to have you on our ticket, Austin. And I'm very happy to have you running for it. Thank you very much. That sort of thing, you know. So. Was like would you jet, would you do it again? Is politics something you like? Would you what would you like? Were you into it? You know, I'm about as into it as Peter Garrett is, I think, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, if my career was really in the toilet or I, or I decided that I'd you know, I've had enough of comedy, I'd say, yeah, you know, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wage every week. And uh, Do you feel you can do – I mean, clearly you are doing what you're doing because you're driven to make a change in the world you well, live in. Do you feel yeah. you can do more doing what yeah. you're doing now? I think, I think I can do more in comedy than I could do in politics. You know, I, politics is not a place for altruists, is it? There's only one guy, I reckon, one altruist, that guy, Tony Windsor. You know that guy? He was independent. There were two independents, Rob Oakshot and Tony Windsor in the, in the, in the last federal government before, mm-hmm. before the, uh, the, this, uh, this recent election. And uh, he was a, he, a real mensch. You know that word, mensch? Yeah, of course a, I know a real, that a real, A real decent fellow, you know. So but, when you've seen a lot of Australia. A lot. And you've seen a lot of Australians yeah. usually pissed. How are we going? As a country, you've been able to take a sample every couple of nights of the week. Mate, mate, this is, you know, this is, you know, paradise on earth. You know, Donald Horn wrote that book, The Lucky Country, but the words, the words, The Lucky Country, from his perspective, that it was ironic, you know, he didn't mean it like that. He meant it's really the unlucky country because there's so much, there's so much of the outdoor life that there's so little to worry about. So you've got, yeah, no worries, mate, no worries. That people really are not, we're not motivated. I mean, I think that people have become much more motivated since the incredible influx of migrants. Because prior to the Second World War, Australia was just, you know, go, go there, boy, you stretch your balls, boy, the beach, oh, yeah, you go get fucked, the rest, do like this. And then, you know, all these Greeks and Italians and Lebanese and Jews and, you know, whatever, people from everywhere, you know, on the planet came here. And, and it's still as big as America, this place. As you it's know, huge, I mean, it's huge. And there's only 23 million people. In America, there's 400 million people in America, plus another 100 million they don't even know about, probably. You know, Mexicanos, Buenos Dias, como estas. You know, so it's a, there's a huge. It was a huge pressure on the Indigenous Australians, not not the Aboriginals, but the white Australians, to pull their fingers out, because all the all the all these migrants just saw opportunity after opportunity. They all, as you know, like 
The Jews bought 600 buildings and the Greeks bought thousands of buildings and the Italians and, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they, had a, they had an ethos of, of, you know, of education and you know, giving the children more than they had in Europe or whatever it was. And so they encouraged their kids to study hard and, and create a life for themselves. Incredible pressure on the Aussies. We're all going, oh, you fuck my day, no worries. And yes, we're there, them this and this. And, and the cuisine change and the, everything. I mean, it's, it's a glorious place, mate, Australia. Look, look, look where the world is right now. Last night, Madeleine Albright described the world as a big mess. Huh. Anywhere you look in the world right now, it's, it's look, look at Africa's a mess. You know, the whole Middle East is a, just crumbling. You know, it's, it's unsafe. In so many places, so unsafe. Look what's going on with Russia and, and Ukraine and, you know, bringing down planes and... Makes, you know, me, makes me want to weep when you're talking about it. I want to cry, man. Well, you know, when, look, when you, you're here, I mean, you wouldn't even know it here. Yeah. If, we didn't have, if we didn't have CNN here, you wouldn't know what was going on. People wouldn't care. And mo actually, most people couldn't care less, really, what's going on. But then why are people so upset here? We're so upset with what? People are upset and they want to be upset at immigrants. They want to be upset at boat people. They want to be upset at anyone oh, yeah. who says there's climate change. Well, that's still, that's still just a hangover of all that xenophobia that was there in the Menzies era, you know. It was all that white Australia policy and, you know, Aussies are pretty, they're pretty, uh, you know, underneath, just underneath the surface, they're pretty afraid or I think it's fear, you know, fear of, something that's different, anything that's different, Jews or Greeks or Wogs or, you know, Pupters or whatever it is, they're very intolerant. And, uh, you know, I experienced that in high school, you know, when, as a Jewish boy growing up with a little, wearing a little yarmulke to school and in a non-Jewish school and which was actually mostly Jewish kids in that, in my class, all children of Holocaust survivors, getting a hard time because we were Jewish, you know. So... But it's still, mate, it's, I think it's the most tolerant place on earth, don't you think, Australia? Wow. In comparison, you know, it's because it's, I think it's a small population and because there are, it's so multicultural. So the multiculturalism in Australia seems to have worked quite well, you know? I think so anyway. I'm very optimistic about Australia. Yeah? Oh, yeah, I'm optimistic about Australia. That makes me happy because you see a lot of them. Oh, yeah, no, no, I'm optimistic. I have this little bubble of people that I can contact with and that's it. Mate, I did a show the other night in Neutral Bay, right, and it was predominantly Anglo-Saxons. It was about... It's North Shore, just on the other side of the harbour. Lower, lower, lower North Shore. Well-to-do, about 100 people having a dinner and show, you know, in a small venue, and they pissed themselves. And I was talking about all that stuff, you know, about, you know, about all, all this differential thing between, between white people... Migrants and you know I do all the thing and the Greeks and the Italians and everything mix everything together put a whole a whole story and they were laughing at everything and, and my show's not about it's not a racist show it's actually a show about tolerance you know really that's what I'm fundamentally that's what I'm about even my holo all my Holocaust stuff is about pointing out how ridiculous murdering six million people I mean how how I mean it's just it's just there's nothing that makes sense in all of that stuff. It just doesn't make any sense, you know. Killing hundred, you know, one and a half million children just because they're Jewish. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, what's your wish for our country? For this country? Yeah. For the future? Yeah. That uh, you know that I thought. Well, look, I've written quite a lot about refugees and how refugees. 
as the Jewish people were absorbed, even though there was a huge uh, prejudice towards the Jewish people before the Second World War, I think the Holocaust made people, you know, loosen up a bit. And so that there was a big Jewish migration to Australia post-Second World War. And, I mean, they've all... They've, they've been incredibly industrious and, and contributed amazingly to, the, to this country. People like Frank Lowy, you know, Frank Roy, and, uh, you know, Harry Trigoboff and, you know, all these people that have had incredible success but, you know, enriched the country. So I think that the migrant experiments worked and I think that the boat people issue, I disagree that the children should be put in detention centres. I don't think anybody should be put in a detention centre. And if you are going to put in a detention centre, make it very, very quick, you know. Find out who they are, where they're from, if they're reasonable. You don't want to bring fuckwits here. You don't want to bring people that are going to blow themselves up in the street. You don't want to create trauma from, from refugees because of refugees. But, you know, you have to have a very quick investigative process I can't understand why it takes so long today. And I, I said that on Q&A, you know, that, you, you know, this, this, this idea of keeping people in detention is just dehumanising and, uh, and it shouldn't be happening. But, but um, it's, uh, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. You still, like, uh, you still like getting up on the mic every night? I do enjoy it, yeah. yeah. There's nothing gives me more pleasure than um, berating 100 people. <laughs> There's nothing that gives me more pleasure than creating a bit of chaos. Chaos is good, though, from time to time, isn't it? Yeah. I couldn't agree more, creating, creating a bit of chaos. No, I, I love my job, mate. And um, my only regret is I haven't made a comedy film that's, you know, just that fucking funny. Except that right now, a movie that I made with an Australian director called Philippe Mora, his name, he, do you know who he is, Philippe Mora? He made a movie called Mad Dog Morgan in, uh, in Australia in the 70s with Dennis Hopper. It was about it was a bush ranger, Dennis Hopper off his head at that time on cocaine and everything, every other drug under the sun. You know Dennis Hopper, right? Of course. Yeah. So Dennis Hopper came here and played a bush ranger called Mad Dog Morgan. They're brilliant. And it was fantastic uh, casting. He was off his fucking head. Anyway, Philippe and I have collaborated on many things. He's an artist and he's a filmmaker, and he lives in he lives in North Havenhurst in uh, in in Hollywood, in West Hollywood, there near the Chateau Marmont. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's lived there for 20 years or so, 30 years. He made The Howling and uh, oh, wow. Howling yeah. 2, Howling 3 and whatever, yeah. Marsupial Werewolf. And he, made, he also made several documentaries about the Nazis, one called Swastika where he found all the, the footage of Hitler and Eva Brown at uh, the Berchtesgaden there where they, you know, and, and uh, the first footage, he, he found all that footage in the Pentagon because the, the Americans had gone and found this and put it, take it straight back to America, put it in the Pentagon and he got this footage and he made Swastika and he made Brother Can You Spare a Dime, which was an Emmy-nominated yeah. documentary. Anyway, so I, I just work, I, we, I, we've worked on many things together and we just made a film together called The, the, the Sound of Spying, which is a Cold War musical and it's, ha- it's having its premiere in a few hours in Poland, in Wroclaw or Breslau wow. in Poland at a festival, in New Horizons Festival in Poland. So, And it's a funny thing and I'm, I'm in half the movie, so... See what happens, you know. Maybe somebody's there and they'll spot me there, and you know, you know, I'm suddenly I'm a I'm a, I'm a megastore. I got a trailer and everything here, and uh, you know, things are starting to move, and thirty million dollars a movie, and you know, Sam Worthington, you know, go fuck yourself. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
Mate, I'm I'm really grateful you came over today. Oh, my pleasure, mate. My pleasure. It's been really good. It's very laissez-faire and the kickback and, you know, the movement towards the microphone was done in a very a sly way but, you know, it was cool. Everything's cool and the tea thing and here we are. Well, no, my pleasure, mate. My pleasure. I'm going to take a photo of you. Oh, yeah? Okay. And then yeah. what are you going to do with that? I'll put it online with everybody oh, yeah. else. All right. Goes with the show. Sure, sure. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. That's nice. That's the girl that was here last. Imogen, time. yeah. Imogen. She an actress? Yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. She's a, a, a advocate for refugees. Oh, she. Well, that's good. Yeah. She's Jewish refugees. Good. She's lovely, lovely lady. Thanks, brother. Mr. Ginsburg, Mr. Osher. <laughs> Layla Tov. Layla Tov. That was Austin Tatius. Find him on Twitter at A-U-S-T-E-N-T-A-Y-S-H-U-S, the number one. Get his tour dates at austintatius.com. Thanks very much for being here. Thanks for being a part of this show by downloading it. I look forward to hearing any questions you might have for the anniversary show coming up in a few short weeks. osherginsberg.com. You can record a voicemail and send it to me or send me an email. Send osheremail at gmail.com. Send me a question. I'll do my very very best to answer it okay all right jet lag i've got to sort this out am i hungry am i sleepy do i need to poop i don't know the answer to any of these questions but that's what's happening i'm just gonna have to surrender to it that's it sleep well until next week sleep well and dream of beautiful things catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com